Hello everyone, welcome to You Don't Have to Cry Alone in Silence. My name is Valerie Lewis. I want to welcome each and every single listener who has decided to join us today. First of all, I want to let you know, if you are in immediate danger, call 911 and find a safe place. Also, call the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. This is a No Judgment Podcast. So I want to welcome each and every single one of you, speaker today. She's going to share some information with you about her story, but she's also going to share her triumph. I'm going to introduce you to her. Karen Howard. She is a business owner who worked with the U.S. government for seven years in City Hall. She's the DMD and the Housing Authority. She is the holder of an associate degree in psychology. She's a wife, a mother of four who defies the odds daily. She's a philanthropist whose desire is to help 1,000 families break the back of poverty mentality. Spirit Spiritually and economically. She is an author. She, you can look forward to her book, Hustle While You Hurt, hitting the bookstores in 2021. So welcome, welcome, Karen. I am so excited that when I reached out to you and asked you, would you share your story? Would you empower women on the podcast? And you said yes. So I was excited about that. So I know this is going to be very courageous of you. It's going to be bold, but also I am so humble and grateful and thankful because we know that domestic violence is a very touchy situation and a very touchy conversation. Many people don't want to open up old wounds. Many people don't want to share their story because it takes them back there. And so I totally understand. But for some of us, we want to make sure that we empower other women. We want them to know the signs. We want them to be aware. We want them to know, hey, it's not, life is not this. But you can absolutely live the life that you want for you and your children. You are beautiful. You are loved. You are amazing. And so this is what this is all about. This is about letting people know that you can live the life that you always wanted to. That you don't have to stay stuck in that situation. You don't have to be controlled in an environment. You are born to be free and to be who you said, who God said you are. And so thank you so much, Karen, for coming on the show to talk about your trauma to triumph. So I'm going to introduce you to Karen Howard. Oh my gosh, Valerie, thank you so much um, for this amazing opportunity. I do want to let know that this is my first time sharing my story. You know some of it um, personally because one of the days that I've experienced domestic violence was the day that I met you, right? So um, I'm a little nervous because I hid this story for a very long time. I didn't tell anybody because um, I was ashamed. Um, I was embarrassed. You know, here I'm educated, you know, and it's like, why am I going to, you know, I'm a child of God. Why am I going to this? I was ashamed. And that's the number one reason why I didn't tell anybody. And that's why I stayed in it that long because of being embarrassed, being ashamed of what to say and how they feel about me. You know, she's stupid. You know, you keep running back to her. You know, all the things your girlfriends tell you, whatever like that. So this is my first time telling my side of the story. I knew this day was going to come. I hope that I can help at least one person by just sharing my story. So again, I thank you so much, Valerie. And it was your testimony that actually helped me to want to get out of my situation. And that's the truth. It was your testimony. Here it is. I'm at a business event. I was invited to a business event. And literally, on my way to the event, I was getting punched in my face, slapped in my face in the car. I jumped out of the car, literally jumped out the car because my whole goal was like, if I could just get to this business opportunity, I won't have to depend because I want to tell women something. A lot of women deal with domestic violence because they're not financially stable. You know, if you're, if you're living 
Um, so when I was coming to this business opportunity over five years ago, you know, I, I had to make a decision. I jumped out the car and I said, okay, he beat me up a little bit, but I don't look bad. Let me still make it to the business opportunity. I remember taking my last that I had paying $40 for a cab because where we were going, I was still about 15, 20 minutes away. So I could have called the police, but I was just determined to just get into an environment where I can feel like I should live and not die. So I hid myself in some bushes and he was circling around looking for me. Now, unfortunately, he knew where I was going because he was taking me there. So I thought I got away, right? So I hid in some bushes, jumped into a cab, made it to the event. By the time I made it there, he was already there waiting for me at the event, which was very nerve wracking because I'm like, oh God, I'm about to be embarrassed. I'm about to get dragged. I'm about to get hit. I'm about to get punched and everybody's going to see. So I immediately ran into the ladies' room because I said, one place you can't come is into the women's bathroom. And when I went into the women's bathroom, that's when I met you, Valerie. Sorry. And when you told me, you said, Karen, I know I just met you. You said, but I've been through the same situation that you've been through. And you said, I was hanging off a bridge. He had me hanging off of a bridge. I said, you said, wait a minute. I've got slapped. I got punched. I got dragged, you know. And she was hanging off a bridge. And you said, I, I made it through. You said, do me a favor. Can't, I can't talk about everything right now, but I have an event going on. Ask the event. I'll talk to you. And I sat there and I've been broken. Now, here it is. I'm broken because a man just beat on me. But here's an opportunity in front of me. And that's literally where I want to start at. That's what it is. Your life is going on. You know, you're living life as normal. And then here it is. You have an opportunity either to stay in a relationship or. And what happened was with me was, I want to just go back a little bit because I was naive. I saw the sign for it. When a man tells you he never did something before, you try to believe. So my first encounter with him, and I'm going to go back to the day when we was there at the hotel at the event. My first encounter with him was one time I was on my menstrual, my, my, my monthly cycle, and, and he, you know, came by the house to pick me up, and he's like, hey, you know, I came to see you. I'm like, hey, how you know? I'm giving him a kiss and stuff like that. He's like, you know, I'm just a I'm like, well, you know, I'm on my menstrual cycle. Like, you're on your cycle. I'm like, yeah, you know, we keep that once a month, every month, right? And he's like, so that means that I can't have sex with you. I'm like, no. And he says, okay, so since I can't have sex with you, sex with you I'm going to have sex with somebody else, because I'm not going to wait till you get off your cycle, get out of my car. So I'm thinking he was playing with me. I'm like, I'm playing, I'm playing. No, no, that's not funny. He's like, no, get out my car. He said some very abusive words. But then when he put me out the car and threw me into some bushes, like, literally, you know, there's people really manicure their lawn very well. And people who manicure their lawn very well, those bushes hurt. And he threw me into the bushes and he told me, I'm going to go cheat on you probably somebody else because you can't give me nothing because you're here. And I'm like, okay, so I started crying and went in the house. You know how it goes. A couple hours later, he called me. He's like, baby, I promise you, I, I, I've never, ever did that. I've never put my hand on any woman before you can ask my mom. <laughs> I did ask his mom. And unfortunately, his mom, he has one of those moms that cooperates with his stories. That says, he's not, you know, my son is nice. And, and let me tell you something. When you're in a vulnerable position and somebody puts their hand on you, you're looking for that one person that's going to make you feel safe. And I went into a danger zone by asking his mom. His mom had already knew that he was abusive because his dad was abusive. And his uncles are abusive. She didn't tell me until two years late after she saw that it kept going on. So when I went to her and I said, hey, what's going on? She's like, no, 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 he's not like that. And that's the thing. When, when you get abused, you're just looking for one person that you can tell your secret, that they won't judge you. And you want to try to psychologically think like, oh, yeah, that's right. That wasn't wrong what he did. You know, that wasn't too bad. So I dealt with that. And I, I forgave him. I'm like, okay, it's okay. It's all right. It's, it's not a big deal. Of course, I was troubled by it because I'm like, don't your mama get her period? Thank you.
satisfied, you're like, yes, I know that this sounds horrible, but I, sometimes you have to tell the truth in order to help other people. So long story short, from that situation, he stopped for a while because, you know, they have to make sure they don't do it again for a while just to gain your trust again. And I started trusting him again, and then he started with the phones. Now, mind you, he was very smart with the phones. I'm old school. I'm not with that passwords and all that stuff. So the new phones now, you can put your fingerprint in and everything. So he already put his fingerprints in my phone. He had my password, everything. So he'll tell cheating on me to he called somebody. You did this, you did that. And I'm like, I didn't do anything. He knew that. But he wanted to scare me and threaten me to make me feel inferior. He got me to a place where I stopped speaking to him. I stopped talking to him. I stopped answering phone calls just to prove to him that I'm loyal. Fortunately, him and I worked at the same job together. So the abuse that just happened at home, I was getting abused at work too. I remember one incident we were at work. I would work the overnight shift, so it wasn't a lot of staff. We were working the overnight shift one night. There was another male staff working there, and he, this particular night, he was off. He kept calling me like, what are you doing? Why did I answer my calls? You're being Like he came down, knife, whatever he had, but he had like five guys lined up against the wall. And he 
downstairs. He said, any of you guys mess with my wife, you know, there's going to be problems. And I'm like, so when I came downstairs, I was scared because they like, he just left. So this one gentleman was like, yeah, we're getting you. And I'm like, yeah, like, if he hits you again, God bless his soul because he passed me. You let me know. I got some friends that I helped you out. That was the first time, two years, that went on for four years. Two years that I felt teeny bit safe. This young man was younger than me. He had nothing to lose, but willing to gather all because he saw how great of a supervisor I was to him. He was willing to risk his life for me. I told him, I said, no, 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 don't do nothing. I'll handle it. Me saying I'm going to handle it is right. I want to let you know that I spent a lot of my time running. I spent a lot of my time hiding my pocketbook, my ID, because he has a routine. Routine was to snatch my bag, snatch my ID, snatch my phone. Once he does that, I don't have anything. So I had to start preparing myself for when something bad was going to happen. Now, you know you're in deep when you prepare yourself for the anger. You prepare yourself for the abuse. Okay, let me not say anything. Let me make sure I cooked it. Let me make sure I give him a kiss. Let me make sure I was to have sex all day long. Let me make sure I do that. Because now you want to be a good woman because you start to think like it's something about me. Because this wasn't my first rodeo with domestic violence. This is like my fourth time now. Because when I was much younger, I brushed it off. Now here I am, a full-grown adult being abused. I'm free. I'm in a country that's supposed to be free and I'm being treated like a slave. I started preparing myself. I started preparing myself for death. I knew he was going to kill me. Eventually, then one day from work, um, he came to pick me up from work. This particular day, I dodged him. Somehow, I dodged him. Found me, put me into the car. Um, I got into the car, so now my pocketbook is on my lap because I know that he's going to snatch my pocketbook. If he if he decides he wants to get angry or get upset at me, he's going to snatch my pocketbook. I'm on the highway, Valerie. on the highway. And you know, some highways are like, there's the top and then there's the bottom. So we were on the bottom of the highway. So if you're on top of the highway, you can look down and see the cars. So I knew it was coming, slapping my face, a punch. I knew it was coming because his thing is you're cheating on. Now mind you, the whole time he was cheating on me. I didn't, I didn't know. I, I found out later on. So that's why I was getting abused because he was doing wrong. So I knew it was coming. I, I, I knew it was coming. So I said, okay, yeah, I, I had to calm down. I had to think. I said, yeah, we got to jump out this car. Who's your life or not? Jump out the car. Now, he saw that I was about to jump out the car. He snatched my pocket. Now, when you're a victim of domestic violence, your whole thing is you just want a phone or you want some money so you can just try to get away. So, unfortunately, he was able to snatch my bag. So, I'm hanging out the door of the car on the highway. He's doing about 55, 45, okay? And I'm already hanging out the door. My pocketbook, and I know it sounds crazy, but I needed my pocketbook because I'm on a highway. And you just, these days in time, can't stop anybody and say, help me. But at least if I have my pocketbook and my phone, I can call someone. I had to make a decision, Valerie, and I was trying my best to hold onto the pocketbook, but half of my body was hanging out the car. And he's driving, so I had to roll out the car, and I rolled out on the highway, and I'm at the bottom of the highway, and he rolled off of my pocketbook. So now I had to climb up to the top of the highway. Now, mind you, at my job, I was the supervisor, like I told you. So I was in charge of transportation, making sure everybody got home. When I walked up to the top of the highway, there's a van that picks up all the people who don't have a car. So there's about 30 people on this van, and they all know me because I'm the supervisor. My clothes is torn, face is messed up. My, I look, I look a mess. And when I go up to the top of the highway, of course, what van? First van that I see is the van of employees, and they're like, "That's Karen right there. What happened to her?" They laughed at. Me. They said, "Ha!" I'm sitting on a bus and I know that the bus has to 
mind you, I have no, no pocketbook, no cell phone, no money. So I hold my head down and Rob was so embarrassed because they laughed at me the whole time because to them they saw materialistic things to me. I was trying to survive because I knew he was going to come back down to the job because he's putting one and two together. So when the van drops us down in the job, I'm terrified because I know he's going to catch up with me. He has a car and I don't have anything. So God worked it out where I was able to stop for the job. They let me out of the bus. And when I stopped, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know who to ask. So I walked to the train station because where I lived, where, when the job was about a 45 minute drive, I couldn't walk. It would be two hours if I walked. So I walked to the train station. The, the bus attendant, I said, I said, I need to get home. I don't have any money. My boyfriend's beat me up. I don't just want to get home. He said, he said, listen, what we do is we only give out one ticket in a lifetime. We'll never be able to get a free ticket again. I never knew this. I never knew that. You no, know, if you were stranded that the bus station here in New Jersey gives you a train ticket. So he said, ma'am, you will never be able to get another ticket again in your life. And once I got that ticket, that's it. I can't, I can't do it. I mean, he would cut off the lights. I wouldn't have any lights. I wouldn't have water. I wouldn't have food. I would take my money. He called, he knew, oh, he called all my friends. He knew everyone. He used to call them, cry on the phone, beg. My, I had friends call me and say, you should take him back. And I did. Based on, because he told them, like, I'm a good guy. And they're like, yeah, he is a good guy. If you're on here, you have a friend that's telling you to go to somebody that's abusive. That's not a friend. Get rid of what happened was, I went into a depression. I'm very deep, deep. I cut everybody off. I stopped talking to people. And some people didn't even hear from me for about a year. Abuse didn't stop after that. He came back because uh, we went to court. And even with court, he got away because of my heart. He was supposed to do five years in prison. The time when he came in the house, he choked me until I was unconscious. I could no longer breathe. Locked me in the closet, you know. He wound up getting probation because he begged me, begged me, begged me. Oh, I have children. Please don't do this to me and my kids. Please, I was five years. I can't go away for five years. And choked me until I passed out. Die. But when you're a victim, you feel like you don't want nobody else to become a victim, even though he deserved to be five years. So you see, psychologically, even though you're out, he might, he might not be getting on you, psychologically, you're still being abused. And then he went from getting um, arrested, he did get arrested. Um, it took me a while to call the One time, he called the police on me because I defended myself and he's arrested. My nail scratched him by mistake one time because I was defending myself. And the police came and arrested me. me. And I said, even if it doesn't matter, because you confessed that you scratched him, we're going to take you. So I said to myself, where were you guys? And I had to sit in prison for me after the car flipping over on the side, I almost died. After jumping off on the bridge, after, you know, running after five jobs, you're gonna arrest me for a week? And when I was in jail, for something I didn't do, I said, hey, I gotta stop, gotta stop. And that's when I got brave, because I said, wait a minute, you don't feel bad for getting me arrested? I shouldn't feel bad for doing what I need to do. I eventually told one male friend that I could depend on, and he helped me through. I remember one time, I came home, and seven of his family members were here waiting for me, to, and it was only God. I have so many stories out but I just want to kind of end here, but um, it was only God that I didn't die. It was only God that spared my life. It was only God that when the car almost flipped over, that it didn't flip over and we didn't have a bit of ditch. It was only God that when I jumped off the bridge that he spared my life that I didn't die. It was only God that when he choked me and I passed out. And my, I think my turning point was, you know, when you have children and you say to yourself, because I have sons, I have three sons and one daughter, I never want my sons to be like this. I 
never want my son to treat women like this, you know. And I have older children. I have a 23-year-old and 24-year-old. So they had gotten involved a couple of times, too. And I, that's just my breaking point. Because my children should have to fight my battles. And the long story short, he pointed probation. Uh, he stopped coming by because I had a male friend that went to address him and say, listen, if you bother her again, you got me to deal with. Because he knew that all my family was in the islands. I'm going to tell women something. Don't give out all your information. When you meet a guy, don't just be motivated. Tell them everything. Because there's some men, they're very calculated. They see your weakness. They see when you hang your head down. See, he noticed something about me. And I want to tell you something about me. He tried to get with me for five years. And what he knew, he knew my information because he worked with me. Like I told you, we worked at a lot of jobs together. So he already knew my information. He knew that I was by myself. So ladies, I want to give you some advice. I know you might like him or whatever, but whatever you mean, you have to understand that your story is your story. And you have to earn the right to know who you are. So he knew my story. He knew my weakness. He saw, he saw my consciousness. He saw how I hung my head down. He saw how I was sad. He saw all the things that I went through. And he, he used that to his advantage. And that's why he did all the things that he did because he saw that I didn't have support. And I think the worst abuse is when they know you don't have support. When you have that aunt or that uncle comes by and tries to rescue you and help you out and call the police, we thank God. Because all I have is God. I could have been sick this week these a couple of times. A couple of times. I think I cheated that seven times now. But ladies, your mouth is the most important thing when it comes to domestic violence. Because the first time you get hit, that's when you have to say, okay, something's wrong. But I realized I attracted him to me because of what I was saying. I'm like, oh, I would just love to have somebody who could just give it to me good. That's all he was able to do. So you have to be, be the steward over your words. You have to say, I need a man that's kind, loving, strong, God-fearing, respectful, you know, loves me, loves his mother, has character. So I had to change the way I talk when it came to men. You know, I, I, I you know, we used to always say, tall, dark, and handsome. Dark and handsome will beat you too. Light skin with pretty eyes will beat you too, right? Jeremy Curl, nice hair, they'll beat you too. They'll yes. beat you too because the thing about it is, is that it's about you as a woman. It's about your confidence. It's about who you are and what you want and what your desires are. And one thing men don't do, they don't mess with confident women. And I wasn't confident because I grew up in a house of domestic violence. My father was beating his wives, cheating on his wives. So that spirit followed me. I've seen my father hit his wives, apologize, and everything was okay. So you begin to think that that's okay. So some of us, we grow up into this, right? We grow into this. So that's why those other four relationships that I had when I got stabbed, when I when I got threatened, when I got dragged, when I got beat, I let it go because this is what men do. No, this is not what all men do. That's not true. All men don't beat you and abuse you. That's not true. But what we have to do is after we learn to master um, confidence, self-confidence in what we speak and what, we have to make sure that we put our foot down and demand what we want. Let me meet your, meet your father. When I met his aunt and his aunt told me, she said, Karen, every male in his family are abusive. She said, his uncle has been abusing me for 17 years. Wow. And in the African-American community, we have this big thing where we like to keep it secret and hide it. We don't like to tell anybody. Eventually, like I told you, his mom told me, like, Karen, his dad beat me. And I think that's where he got that from. But I never expected him to do that. I said, your son needs help. Because somebody else is being abused right now. Yes. From what I heard. Somebody else is being abused right now. Self-love, ladies. Self-love. See, I didn't love myself. I didn't love myself enough. That's why I stayed four years. Four years. That's 365 days in a year of mental abuse. Physical abuse. Emotional abuse. Do you know what I would do to a person? It took me two years, Valerie, to hold my head up. Two years. And my sister's death to hold my head up again. And now I'm not ashamed anymore because I'm not a victim anymore. I'm victorious. Sad for all the women who didn't make it. But for those who are in it, those who came out of it, those who are entering into it, it's not your fault. It's just that you just need rewiring in your thinking. Once I rewired my thinking and I told myself I deserve better,
Lux is amazing. Thank God for him. And he was one of those individuals that helped. <laughs> Amen. He said, listen, brother, you hit her, but you're not going to hit me. And he was scared. And come to find out, all this time, he was just a coward. He was scared of men. He was only beating up women because that was his only way of control for himself. That was his only place to feel like he was about. And when he hit on women, he felt hope. And that's what my husband did. He came along, helped me with that situation. I still got emails. After that, still get emails to this day, you know, checking on me. I love you. I miss you and stuff like that. And I block the emails. Instagram, always follow me. New account. Still probably up here now, you know. <laughs> but I don't, I haven't dealt with him in over two years. So it was a, it was a five-year battle. It's been two years from him. Do I ever worry when I see him? No, not anymore. Wow. I thank you so much, Karen, for sharing your story. You know, it was courageous of you to go back and open up some wounds. But we know sometimes when we share it, it gives us a sense of relief. It frees us. And so like you didn't want to share my story either. You know, thinking about what people were going to say, you know, well, why did you stay? And you know, all those different kind of things. We was already beaten and broken. And then to tell someone, you know, what I'm going through or to even share. A lot of times you you do have family and friends, like you said, that don't support you. They was telling you to go back because of what he was saying. You know, they always going to make it seem as though they never did anything. You know, they're the good guy. When you first start the relationship, it's like a honeymoon. They're putting up their best front in front of you. And then it'll come bit by bit by arguing. Then he'll start, you know, well, I don't think that looks good on you. You need to change it. And you still don't catch it. Then it may be the shaking, right? They grab you when you're arguing and you know they're shaking you. and then you still don't catch it because you feel as though that's just an initial response or a reaction that people have when they argue and they grab you and you know shaking you and trying to, well, no, that's not the case. And then before you know it, here comes the violence, right? The smacking, the hitting. In the honeymoon stages, they make it seem as though they're like the black sheep of the family, you know, family did this wrong, that wrong, it's never them, it's always somebody trying to hurt them. Just through the trauma of what you went through with him and you're able to still stand. And when you say it was nobody but God and people no, I didn't go get any counseling. I had a moment with God. I know when I was going through my abuse, I didn't understand why. He caught me at a very vulnerable state. I was in New Jersey, left, I had broke up with someone, and he slapped me so hard that my whole entire body flew across the other room. That's how hard he slapped me. And he ripped the phone cord out the wall. Now that's before I got here to Texas. And so I left him. My aunt said, you need to come up here, stay up here for a couple of years, see how you like it. Well, he followed me here and stayed here for a whole week and said, if I can't have you, nobody can. And so that meant a death threat. And see, sometimes you got to know the words that someone says, right? If no, if I can't have you, nobody can. So that's pure threat. But I was like, this man is crazy. And so I stayed in my aunt's house for a whole week until he flew back and he kept calling. Now, how he got my aunt's phone number, I don't even know. And he kept calling and he got me fired from my job in New Jersey, he kept calling them, telling them they was gonna blow up the he was gonna blow up the building if they didn't me on the phone. So they got very nervous and they had to let me go. When I met my husband here, ex-husband now, but when I met him here, I was very in a vulnerable state. I was hurt. I just needed somebody to say, love me to for compassion. I was just in a vulnerable state. Tell you a secret. So the reason why I love your husband so much is because you didn't know that the whole time we were in New Orleans together, he was calling me. I was the whole trip went to 
trip. I'm in the room with you guys. You guys don't even even know. The whole trip, he called me, text me. I know you cheating on me. I know you cheating on me. And your husband now, he bought me that gumbo. He let me know there's good men out here. So when I was on that plane, I took that. What your husband did, that's why you don't even know to this day why I love your husband so much because I said if she went through a domestic violence situation and she has a good husband now, it's going to happen for me. You didn't even know that. And I just wanted to tell you, to tell him because I never told him. And I, I always wanted to tell you face to face my story. That's what gave me hope because I knew I was going back to domestic violence when I came back from the trip. But your husband gave me hope because I said if Valerie was hanging off of a bridge and now her husband, because jealous men don't share with other women. They tell you, yeah, that she, she, she's no good for you. Don't hang around with her. Yes. I was terrified. I thought your husband was going to reject me. And me and Vicky, I thought that's because I, cause I was afraid. I was afraid. And a, a super gumbo is what made me change my mentality about men. And say, I said, not all. That's, that's the truth. I always wanted to tell you that. And that's what kept me. So to this day, when I said the gumbo, is because when I got those phone calls, and then when I ate the gumbo, and I saw how you and your husband danced and you smiled, that's what kept me from committing suicide. So tell them the same thing for being kind, because you'll be surprised. The things that you do for people, you think, oh, it's just some soup. God used her. When I say gumbo, you never knew I related to that as my little piece of mind when I went back to my room. Thank you. Sorry for cutting you off. That's all right. Wow, I didn't even know that. You know, sometimes. And that's why I want gumbo to this day. It, was, it never was nothing like, it was good, but it was just, a, I had a little bit of peace. And when you're in domestic, when you're in domestic violence, if you can just get a little bit of peace. You know, it's amazing that um, sometimes God put people at the right place at the right time. And sometimes you just never know what an individual is going through because that's why I named my thing. You don't have to cry alone in silence because there's so many people who are silent, who's going through mental depression. I've never even told both of my daughters that I was going to commit suicide as well because I had, I just got tired and I felt as though all the stuff that he had said to me, that was just me. I, I didn't come from abusive household. So I questioned myself on how did I even get there? I just encourage those who are listening that whether you know a friend is going through it, a family member, they need the support. They don't need you to give your opinion. They just want to know that you will be there for them. Will you get irritated with them because they keep going back and forth? Yes. You will. But just know they're trying to figure it out. And there's many reasons why women stay in domestic violence. It's all different reasons for different factors for everybody. Some is based on religion, culture, financial, fear, fear, mental. Because the Bible speaks that it's power, life or death in the tongue. And so when that person is badgering you and telling you what you are constantly, day and night, all day, day and night, all day, it does a mental shift to you. It breaks you down till you feel as though you're nothing. You know, even prior then, my ex-husband, his family will say, you know, my brother used to date prettier women than you. Oh, they dated smarter women than you. So it even started from the family. And so sometimes it's what people see at home and what they're growing up and how they become. Now do all uh, men or women, um, they be abusive or whatever because they experienced that at the home. Not not all, and I'm not gonna say all because be abusive. The man may be abusive when he gets older or the woman 
or vice versa, whatever. No, I'm not saying that at all. But it does have some kind of effect. It does. And when I was in my situation, it was financial. I I was surviving at home, making sure I wouldn't do anything that would trigger him. When I was pregnant with my youngest daughter, he didn't want my uncles or my family to come to the house. So you start seeing he starts pulling me from the people who love me. So the phone call stopped. Going to, you know, calling my aunt, reaching out, it stopped. Then me going to see my aunt, that stopped. He made sure he didn't fix my car. So he would have to take me to work, pick me up. On breaks or lunch, he's at, he's there at my job to take me to lunch. And I'm trying to figure out how in the world is he even able to get away from work to be able to do all this. He gets there early before I get off work to see if I'm talking to someone as I'm coming out the building. If I'm in the car, if I happen to look this way, he thinks I'm flirting. So that's a punch in the face or a slap. And so when women come out of domestic violence, we have to deprogram ourselves, our mental, because some of us are in depression. We go through mental depression. And so I want the women to be aware of the sign early in the relationship. I have a girlfriend who was in a relationship and she spotted some of the control issue and how she spotted that was through the conversation and right in within the conversation she was like oh uh-uh, this is not gonna work so she pulled out of it and ended before it even really got started and so it's so important to just know those little those triggers and that's why on my website and times i talk have you talked to your teens lately what's going on with the thought process of your team because they suffer in silence too these young men are hitting them too they're belittling them too they're talking negative to them too so have an open communication let your teens be able to come and talk to you. You see your teens who used to be vibrant and laughing and with the family all the time and talking. And now all of a sudden they all in their room. They being withdrawn from you. They snappy. They get in an attitude. They become shell. Got to know the sign. Your girlfriend ain't calling you back like she used to. Y'all ain't on the phone talking. Her attitudes change. When you see her now, she's kind of solemn or she got shades on. Pay attention. It's okay. Find somebody that you're comfortable with, you trust to share the information. I'm going to have a young lady on my podcast next week. She has an organization that's called Battle Buddy Tribes. And I'm so excited for her to be able to share that information about battle buddies, about somebody who you can call, that you can trust, who's a survivor, who's been where you've been, who's going to be your battle buddy for the victim. So when stuff get out of hand, it's a code that you can send. That's amazing to know when you're in danger. And so Karen, I am so glad that you were able to share your story and just to empower women, to let women know. There's life after domestic violence. Karen, tell people what you're doing now. <laughs> well, as you read, um, um, I'm excited. I'm working on my book, Hustle Why You Hurt. And Hustle Why You Hurt has to do with um, the domestic violence part because you still have to hustle while you're hurting, man. So I'm excited about that book. It's uh, co-authored by my husband and I, so that book will be released. Uh, we're looking at spring 2021. I am a philanthropist. Um, I've been catering to 12 shelters in Essex County. Um, I deal with women with domestic violence issues. Some of the women might teach them to have a bag ready here. Some of them have children. Sometimes they use the children. The children are in the home. You have to teach them strategies because it's different when it's younger children. Um, sometimes it's not that easy to get out. But teach them the moment you have a minute. See, it's a minute strategy. You know, you have one minute to make a decision. Currently, I've always been feeding the homeless because I was homeless myself. My, my health and wellness business have a clothing husband um, that we're working on and a few other projects that I have. So right now, the whole goal is to help women to mentally um, shift their mind from where they are to where they want to be. And 
And that's the goal because I, I realized domestic violence is all mental. Uh, even after my abuse, I didn't get any counseling because I'm still ashamed. Like, I don't want to talk to nobody that haven't been abused. I got to sit here and tell you that I was abused. Can't really understand. The only thing really be sympathetic. Can't empathetic. I wish there was, that, there was that outlet for us that we had an outlet that we go and get the counseling because even my current husband now, like, babe, why are you grabbing your pocket? He didn't even really raise his voice, but it's just like, let me grab my pocket. So I know that there's residents. Uh, I'm definitely working on uh, helping women get rid of the residue. This is after the smoke, you know, get rid of the residue, you know, jump in, flinch in the window. Even when I go near bushes, I'm like, my goal is to help women to propel them. And how, how I'm doing that now is I try to, I had gained so much weight when I was going through domestic violence because the only thing that could cater to me was food. So that's why I want my gun. But I'm like, grab me, freeze it, send it down here. Because um, when you're going through abuse, you just want anything that's going to heal your soul. So that's really uh, pretty much all the projects I'm working on right now. I, I do have my glam babies. I have two glam babies. I'm excited about life. I'm excited about living. Um, I did want it to take my life about seven times. It didn't work out for me. So I beat depression, and that's my story right now. And um, it's my time to talk my story so that's where i'm at right now and it feels good it feels so good to be able to actually talk to women and i went through it versus just counsel and say oh no i love it when i can say this is what you do or, I, can I always tell your story to them i had a recent friend who went through it and thank god she came out i was able to help her because i went through it myself so it's one person at a time that's it you know and, um, even these little younger girls that 13 and 12 yes. you know sex traffic that's still domestic violence one one woman at a time yeah, and that's going to be my mission. Karen, we're going to continue to empower and keep moving forward with these women to make sure that women know the signs and that there is light after domestic violence. So Karen, thank you so much for being with me. Remember, love doesn't hurt. You are not alone. You don't have to cry alone in silence. We are here for you. Have a great day. Thank you for joining us. I hope you were empowered. I hope you learned something. Talk to y'all soon.